Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. I'm really excited to be here. Before I, before I share anything, man, I just want to honor you, Marty. Thank you for being a man of God. Thank you for following God's calling on your life. And Karen, thank you for setting the stage for God to move. And um, Phil, I love you, man. Thanks for, thanks for being a great friend. Thanks for being a part of this church, man. Thank you for being uh, a righteous leader. And, um, and with that being said, I want to pray. Um, could I get you in the back? Would you mind going and closing that door in the back? I want to seal this room. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So as they're closing that, that door in the back, I want to share with you before I pray, there's a, a movie that many of you probably won't know. It's called The Bronx Tale. And uh, it's a, a movie from about the 1930s of, in this Italian city inside, or this Italian portion of New York City. And, and there was a wise guy, his name was Sonny, and he was the guy that kind of ran things around there. And he had a bar on the corner. And in one scene in the movie, there was the, these biker gangs, the Hells Angels, they rode up and parked all their bikes outside of this bar, Sonny's bar. And they came inside and they started drinking beers and smashing them on the floor and pushing people around. And Sonny walked up to him. He said, hey, I'm going to give you one opportunity to straighten things up. And if you don't, you're going to regret it. Sonny goes and he sits down and about five minutes later, they're doing the same thing. So Sonny goes to the front of the, the bar and he locks the door, goes to the back of the bar and he locks the door and then out of the back come all of his Italian friends with bats and with sticks and with chains. And they walk up to the guys and they say, now you can't leave. And they beat the tar out of these, the toughest bikers ever. They beat the crap out of them and threw them out onto the streets. And the reason that I share that is I believe that there's men and there's women that have walked through those doors here today that are carrying things that don't belong to you. You're carrying generational curses. You're, you're, you're carrying soul ties. You're carrying limited ways of thinking. And so that's why I asked that door to be sealed before we pray. Because if you want a renewing of your mind, if you're willing to let God shift how you think and heal your heart, would you just raise your hand? That should be all of us. Every single one of us should want a renewing in our mind and, and healing of our hearts. If we've got something in our heart that's hurt and we've got something in our mind that's not right, this is the place that that God can take those things away. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you that today is the day. God, we declare you as king. God, we thank you for your awesome power. God, right now, we give you permission that your Holy Spirit would just go before us. We give permission, God, that your, the spirit of the living God could fill this place. Every single corner of this place, God, that would you minister right now to people's hearts? that it doesn't matter how much time we have in a message. God, it's not about us. It's about you. So God, let your glory fall. God, let chains fall to the ground. 
Let men see who they are according to Christ. Let daughters see who they are according to Christ. Let us not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Let us be renewed. God, let us be renewed. God, we ask that you would just pour out your favor right now before we even start. Just pour your favor out. Pour your peace out in this place. God, we thank and we love you. We believe that you can do a miracle here right now. We give you permission, God. Have your way. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I feel like I'm going to need to get this out of my way. (laughs) All right. Um, Man, I'm so honored to be here. Like Marty said, Marty came into my life about a year ago, and he was so hungry to build what it was that he he saw me participating in building in America. And, And if you ask me what's the one thing that you feel like you're doing, Steve, I'm giving men an opportunity to see who they are according to Christ. And I'm believing that that's what our time here today is. So before we get started, we're going to pray a prayer at the end of today. And I'm just going to ask you to do three simple things. It's kind of like we're going to go on a flight together. Before we take off, I want to let you know where we're going to land. Right? That's helpful. So where we're going to land is we're going to land in a three-step process, which is going to be you releasing some things that don't belong to you, right? Some of the things that you brought in here, maybe some mistakes that you've made. Maybe it's a a failed divorce, or maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a failed business. Maybe it's a mistake that you've made. Maybe it's something that was done to you. You're going to release some of those things that don't belong to you, and then you're going to receive something that you could never earn, that you could never purchase, but you have to say yes to it. And the third thing that you're going to do after you receive and release is you're gonna commit. One of the things I got to do uh, in America is I got to play in the National Football League. I got to be a professional athlete, which was a dream for me. And there's a big difference between an amateur and a pro. Amateurs make decisions based upon their feelings. And pros make decisions based upon their commitments. And so I'm gonna share with you some of my testimony today that the third part of that process is after we release, after we receive, We commit. And so moving forward from this day, there's going to be people that are in this room right now. And I praise God in advance. They're going to give their life to Jesus for the very first time. They're going to receive full forgiveness. But there's also some people in here who have made a decision for Jesus before, just like I did when I was younger. But I received Jesus as my Savior for forgiveness, but I didn't commit to him as my Lord. And I had a radical encounter with God four years and eight months ago. And it absolutely changed everything about my life. And I'm believing that that's why God sent me here this morning. Was to bring a radical, a radical interruption of God's love. Because in scripture it says, it's the blood of the lamb. It's Jesus. And the word of our testimony that sets the captives free. So that's why I invited God to just go before us, because it's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to set you free. It's Jesus. And, and so getting into, in, getting into what I want to share with us this morning, I want to speak about identity. I want to th- talk about authority. And I want to talk about sonship. In Scripture, in John 10, 10, it says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in that Scripture, the first portion of it is steal. Phil Harris, the enemy wanted to steal your identity. When you were a little boy, he wanted to change 
how you thought about you. And he shifted and he moved things in your mind and you felt like Phil, you felt like you needed to earn God's love. You felt like you needed to earn God's forgiveness. And he tormented you for so many years. And then you had a radical interruption in your life where somebody helped you to see God differently than how you saw them before. And he helped you to receive something that you haven't received before. And now Phil gets to walk in freedom. And that's what I'm believing for all of us in here is that we're not conformed to what the world says that we are, or what the world says that we can do. Is that we let the Holy Spirit renew our mind. And when I was a little boy, my earliest memories, I was five years old. And I grew up in a family. I've got two brothers. I've got a sister. And my parents, wonderful. They raised me in church. Uh, they didn't have sex till they got married. They never did drugs. They never drank. They were like genuinely holy people. I didn't feel like I fit in with them. I felt a whole lot like you, Woodsy. Like, I, I don't fit in here, you know? Not that you don't fit in here, but I felt like I didn't fit in my family because they acted a certain way and my impulses wanted to do another one. And so my earliest memories were going to Sunday school, like, you know, not a church like this, but in a church, I would go to Sunday school and I would get kicked out, Marty, every single Sunday, I'd get kicked out. And I'm like, the church is where you're supposed to be welcomed, right? And then I would go to kindergarten, I'm not sure what you guys call it here, but the first a five-year-old school, and had 26 students in my class. And I got sent to the principal's office the first five days in a row, and it was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where they could paddle you without calling your parents. So I could stand up here and I can laugh, you know? Like, <laughs> but that's because I'm, I'm walking in freedom. Four years and eight months ago, it wasn't so funny. Because at five years old, my earliest memories of myself is I hate myself. Because everywhere I go, I make problems. And like I said, I had a good dad. My dad took me to church, he coached my soccer team. But because my dad grew up with a dad that had no intimacy with him, he didn't say, hey son, I'm, I'm proud of you, or pat you on the back and say, it's okay, get up, you can, you can do it. My dad was old school, and I think most of the men in here, see, one of my brothers is like, yeah, I know what old school is. You had an old school daddy, didn't you? <laughs> so those old school dads thought that they communicated love by being there and providing. And, and yeah, that's part of it. But I grew up with a massive gap of, of who I am. And I remember I'm sharing with you in the time that I have some defining moments. And in those defining moments, Woodsy, I don't want you to say, well, I can't relate with being a Super Bowl champion. But Woodsy, I bet you can relate with some of the stories that I tell and some of the pain and some of the emotions that are gonna be involved. And so that's what I'm believing, that me flying 7,209 miles to be here, I'm not here for vacation. You know, we got Florida, we got California, and granted, I did wanna see a koala, so Phil, thanks for making my dreams come true. But the only reason I'm here is a message of hope, a message of healing, a message of freedom, but not just freedom, I'm talking about stepping into authority. Because when Jesus came to do what Jesus came, he didn't do just so we could be forgiven. He came to do what he did so we could walk in power and authority. And that's one of the things that I believe drew Marty into my life. He's like, man, I love it how you're raising men up in power and authority, not just freedom. Because I went to a church. And if you got khakis and you have your shirt tucked in right now, I'm not talking about you. But I grew up in a church of khaki-wearing Christians. 
in and they drove busted cars to church and some of the men were getting dragged into the church as they're finishing their cigarette as their wife's pulling them and they didn't want to be there. And I grew up in that type of church. And so I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with, with any of those men. I wanted to be around like wrestlers. You ever, who remembers Hulk Hogan? I love Australia. I, I got to speak to some men two nights ago, and I was a little bit nervous they wouldn't relate with who Hulk Hogan is. Everybody knows Hulk Hogan, and I love that, especially here. And that's one thing I love about Australia. You guys love sports, and, and you're fit, and you're athletic. And I've been here for, for a week, and if I had more time, I'd talk about some of the things that I've noticed. But I so love it here. So thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to my next week in, in Adelaide and spending some time with you men on Thursday as well. But the next defining moment for me, I was eight years old, and I remember leaving a soccer game and scoring like five goals and just destroying the team. And I remember the other parents coming up to me and saying, Steve, that was amazing. Last time we played this team, we got beat by three goals, and we just beat them five to nothing. You're such a game changer. And I remember getting into my car and sitting down with my dad and asking him, like, Dad, am I, am I what those people say that I am? Am I great? Am I talented? Am I a game changer? And I remember my dad putting the truck into reverse, and I remember the rocks crunching underneath the tires. He's backing up. And I remember without him even looking at me, he said, you just focus on what you can control, and, and pulled the truck off. And I don't remember it like completely shattering me, but I had an, I had an unconfirmation of who I was. I was asking my daddy to tell me, dad, who am I? Am I what these people say that I am? And so as you all come in here, it doesn't matter if you had the greatest daddy of all time or if your dad was never around. If we're trusting our daddies, our earthly daddies to tell us who we are, they're always gonna miss the mark. And so as I look through these different defining moments I had, the next one was at 11 years old. And it was the first time, Marty, that I ever went to another person's church. So I'd only went to this one Baptist church, and it was the same families, and I got kicked out of the same Sunday schools every Sunday. Jordy, you might know what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> so at 11 years old, I got invited to a church called Comey Baptist Church. And I walked in, and it was a stage like this, and they had bricks on it. They had like fire over here, ice bricks over here. And they announced, and I was thinking to myself, they allow this in a church? <laughs> Woodsy. I was like, dang, kind of like you did when you walked in here. Today, today's Woodsy's first time in church, man. I'll honor you, man. Thank you for being here. And the only reason he came here is because I asked him to come, man. You're a great friend, man, for real. But when he walked in, I wanted to walk in with him because it was his first time in a church. And he walked in, he's like, wow. This isn't what you're expecting, right? That's how it was when I walked into this church. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is different. It was an interruption. Yeah. And then the MC, his name was Keith Kraft, big guy, much bigger than me. And he announces the first person. The first person walks in like this. And I turn around. The guy has a refrigerator on his back, and he's walking onto the stage, and then he puts it down, and he flexes like this. I'm like, then he introduced like five more guys. One guy did like a backflip onto the stage. I'm like, they let this happen at a church? I was blown away. And, and for the whole show, my, I was 11 years old. My chin was on the stage just looking up like this. 
because my worlds were colliding. It was like Hulk Hogan type people, right? Ultimate warrior looking type guys with the confidence and the capabilities. And I'd never seen anybody like that in a church. And so as this show goes by, I am absolutely mesmerized. And then at the very end, this guy walks out and his name's Keith Kraft. Remember that name for later. And he asks a police officer from the back to come put some handcuffs on him. And he says, this isn't enough for my God. Brings another one. He puts on two pairs of handcuffs, Woodsy. Unbelievable. I can hear the clank of the chains, man. And he said, this represents the bondage that the enemy has on us. And there's only one way to break those chains. And he counts down from 10 all the way to one. And I am like, oh my, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he breaks these chains and they go flying over my head and I'll never forget it. And he said, I broke those chains by the power of Jesus. And if you want that chain breaking power and you want to belong to God and you want to be forgiven of all the mistakes that you've made, I want you to raise your hands. And I threw both my hands up like this. (laughs) And I made a decision for Jesus that night because I didn't want the Jesus from my parents' church. But this messenger, this interruption that I had, these men represented power and authority and freedom. And so I said yes to Jesus. And I remember going home and for the next six months, my mom did not have to tell me to say my prayer. She did not have to tell me to read my Bible because I belong to Jesus now. I felt so good. And I told you my dad was old school and I had a gap in, in, in encouragement, words of affirmation and physical touch. And I remember ta- starting my seventh grade year and I had a teacher that I think noticed that gap that I had in my life. And every day I came to class, he would compliment my work, he would compliment my muscles, he would compliment my confidence, he would, he just built me up every day. And he would like pat me on the back and like, I remember wanting to sprint to that class to see what Mr. Johnson was gonna have to say to me about how great I am today. And then one day he asked me to stay after class. And he did things to me that no man should ever do to anybody, especially a little boy. And he stole things from me. And he made me to start to have questions about, well, if God is good and he's real, why would he let something like that happen to me? And like, since this already happened and I feel so dirty, does this make me gay? And I was stuck with all these questions, but because I didn't have intimacy with my dad, I was scared to ask. Because what if the answer is yes, that you are broken, God can't love you and you're gay. I couldn't handle that. And so I, I, I boxed it up and I put it in like the basement of my life. You know, kind of the, you have basements here? Or are they cellars? It was a place where you just wanna put it and you don't wanna go. You don't bring guests down to the basement. You don't go, you just don't go down there. You just pack it away. And I just decided, man, I'm going to develop my body and I'm just going to go for it. And so I did through high school, through college. I built my body up. I achieved all these things. And I remember every time I would get a scholarship or win a championship, I remember taking that trophy and be like, dad, look. And I would get a very typical response. You need to stay focused on the next thing. You need to control what you can control. And the next really large defining moment for me, I was 24 years old, and I'm fast forwarding through high school and college. And I remember making my first NFL team. Now, Jordy, I don't know about in Australia, but when I used to throw the 
the ball around with my dad in the backyard, I used to dream about being a Super Bowl champion in the NFL. And I would dream about running and, and catching the, the ball and a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And I remembered when they told me that I made the team, that I was gonna be a pro. I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, you're never gonna believe this man. Defying all the odds, they're stitching our last name on the jersey because I'm gonna play for the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. Can you believe it? And I remember the pause and the silence. And my dad said, you know that your contract's week to week, so if you play poorly this weekend, your pro career is over. And I just remember the gut punch that that was. But at the same time, my dad was speaking truth. It was 100% the truth, he was right. And so I just remember charging on. And I remember getting to my fourth year in the NFL, calling my dad and being like, dad, the, the, the NFL league average career is 3.1 years. I just made my fourth team. And now I'm gonna get NFL pension and retirement and all these other things. And that conversation went very similar to the previous five or six conversations when I was, as a little boy, asking my dad to confirm and affirm who I was and whether or not I was good, whether or not I was worthy, whether or not I was the best. And then February, I think, Phil, you got my ring on, don't you? Or is Woodsy's got it? Yeah. My, so I brought my Super Bowl. You should be wearing it. You're a champion, Woodsy. February 5th, 2012, in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is 47 miles from when I went to high school, we played, I think a lot of us have heard of Tom Brady. That might be one athlete here. You, does anybody know who Tom Brady is? Yeah, because he's so handsome, too, and athletic. <laughs> so we play him. I mean, this guy's got like seven or eight Super Bowls, and so we're playing a guy that really can't be beat, and we're playing him 47 miles from my hometown. I mean... Everybody, my mom, my dad, my cousins, everybody's at the game. And if they're not at the game, they're probably one of the 124 million people that are watching at home. And I had the greatest game of my life. And I remember the confetti's coming down. I'm pulling my four-year-old son, and he's 15 now, out of the crowd. And he says, Daddy, we did it. We won the Super Bowl. And that's every father-son dream, to share that with their son. Confetti's coming down. And and I'm getting interviewed by all these people that I used to watch on TV as a kid, and they're saying, what's it feel like to be a Super Bowl champion? And they put the mic in my face, and I'm like, uh, you're Al Roker. And they're like, yeah, but about the Super Bowl, I'm like, man, it feels good. I was so ill-equipped. I was like a little boy. And I remember when, they, when I had the moment, every player gets a chance to hold the Super Bowl trophy. And as soon as I, I got the trophy, I started looking for my dad. And I remember walking over to my dad and saying, Dad, it's a lot bigger than I thought. And I was expecting like something to shift and like a word to be said or like a nothing. So I remember going to the, the party afterwards and then at two o'clock in the morning. So you would think the day that you win the Super Bowl, it's got to be one of the greatest days of your life. It was the darkest for me because I remember getting back into my hotel room dropping my bags, I'm about to sit on my, tape, on my bed at two o'clock in the morning, Super Bowl champion. And I hear a noise up at the window and I walk up to the window and I look down and there's just an ocean of people that are partying, that are taking selfies. And it just, and then I notice more, 
they're not even wearing Giants jerseys. They're just people that are happy to be where the Super Bowl happened, and they're partying. And I remember taking a deep breath in as I'm watching these people and just feeling a wave of depression come over me. Because I'm realizing in that moment that nothing has shifted and nothing has changed in me. That I have a God-sized hole inside of me that not even the greatest performance that I've ever had in the biggest game that I've ever had would ever shift. And so I knew my days in the NFL were, were limited and were numbered. And so I played three more years of a multi-million dollar contract and then I retired in the middle of it. My wife, my mentors, my coaches, my dad, what are you doing? You're walking away from $2 million a year for six months of work. And I'd gotten to the point where like, I had just enough money that I can like figure this out for the next two to three years. But I knew that what God was calling me to do or what I needed to do in order for this thing to, I knew it wasn't in the, in the NFL. And one of the things I didn't mention during that high school and college career that you should know, that when I packed that stuff away that happened when I was 12, Anytime it would start to come up, I would use porn, I would use alcohol, I would use pills to just make it go away for a while. And so here I am, I've got about a good 15 years of closet addictions that people know nothing about, totally functional. And all of a sudden I retire out of nowhere and I'm on a spiritual vision quest. My friends, my family, everybody thought that I was losing it. And still some of them right now, they. They're like, why are you going to Australia? Like, what's so big that you feel like you need to go there to tell them? They haven't had that, that interruption the way that I had an interruption. And one of the things that I want the men and the women inside of here to know, I feel like some of the goals and some of the things that, that we make up in our mind, when, when I get enough money, when my body looks this way, when I get to this place, I'll be able to relax and I'll, I'll feel okay. And I guess I've just achieved enough of those things to realize that there's only one way to permanent change. And so after I retired, I moved to San Diego. And I grew up my whole life in a religion. I had no idea that, that Jesus isn't about a religion. He's about a relationship. And so every time I went into a church, I felt like the way that I was built and the way that I acted didn't belong there. And then I was invited to a church in San Diego, California called C3 Church. Some of us, it's an Australian church. Yeah, you guys are like, oh yeah. And as soon as I walked into that church, I felt like an energy, kind of like I did when I walked in here. And I sat down and a worship song finished. And I, on purpose, I showed up five minutes late. So people didn't recognize me because I just retired. So I sat up in the corner and the pastor came out just like I'm here. And he started talking for about 30 seconds and he stopped and he said, hey you, God wants you to know that you've been gone for a long time. And he said that you're home. And he started to prophesy over me and I started to look behind me. There ain't nothing there but a wall. So I said, babe, I don't know what it is. I know that our marriage is falling apart. I know that my kids resent me and I know that I'm a freaking junkie. But on Instagram, everything looks great. I feel like this is, this is the place that we need to go because I've already done psychologists, psychiatrists, hypnotherapists, acupuncture, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I tried it all, Marty. I tried to fix myself. I medicated myself. I do different combinations of you know, Adderall to get work done and smoking weed to come down. It's a complete mess. 
But I said, babe, I feel like this, this church can help us. It can help me. I feel like if God can fix me, he can fix our whole family. And so about six months in, I got invited to an event called Emerge. And this is where things got really real for me. I got special permission from my 11-year-old son, whose name is Ace, to come with me, because you're supposed to be 13 to go. And when you showed up this event, there's about 2,000 people in the middle of the desert. Marty, I'm taking you and Jordy with me next year. Phil, you and Woodsy are coming too. And any of you other men that want to come, 2,000 men in the middle of the desert. And the first thing they give us when we get there was a two by four. Gave one to me, gave one to my son, gave us a marker and said, I want you to write down everything on this burden board that you brought into the desert with you. So I'm gonna pause right now. What are the burdens that you walked in here with? Was it fear? Do you let fear stop you from doing some things? The fear of man, the fear of failure? Do you let anxiety? Did you carry some anxiety in this morning? Because I'd be lying to you if I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, I felt super confident that I was going to do an amazing, amazing job and so many people were going to give their life to Jesus. I woke up with a, with a knot in my stomach this morning. Like I needed to do something. God took that anxiety away and said, it's not about you, Steve. Just bring me the glory and get out of the way. So I don't know if it was depression. I don't know if it's addiction. I don't know if it's, it's failure. I don't know if it, for me, it was trauma. I couldn't trust men. So it's like a, a weird physical thing. I've already hugged Marty three times this morning. God has healed me. So I wrote down all of it. I wrote down imposter syndrome, anxiety, uh, porn, pills, addiction, am I gay? I wrote it all on this board. And then the first event that we went to was in, inside of the circus tent. They play some worship music, and they, they ask the first speaker to walk up. They announce his name. He walks up to the mic. Big guy. He speaks into the microphone like this, and I feel like I got hit by a lightning bolt. All of a sudden, my body started vibrating. My chest gets hot. My face is getting flushed. And I look at the guy next to me to see if he's levitating too. And he's picking his nose. I'm like, I elbowed him. I'm like... What's this guy's name? And he ruffles around with the program, and he goes, uh, Keith Kraft. And I didn't recognize the name, so I Google it. The third image that pops up is this dude from 1994 breaking bricks in Jesus' name with a mullet on the back of his head. And I'm like, that's the guy. So for the next 30 minutes of him, of him preaching, I can't hear anything. I'm vibrating, and he sounds like the Muppet Baby's mom. Wow, 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 wow. So he gets done preaching, and I run around the side of the, the side of the church, and I get to him, and I'm like, Pastor Keith, you're never going to believe this. Um, when I was 11, I received Jesus. You gave me permission to develop my body and, and want to live in this house and all these different things. You changed my life, man. Thank you. He goes, well, that, that's crazy. Uh, send me a message on Instagram. So I'm walking back to my chair and I feel like I'm walking on pillows and I got a revelation I got three revelations about God in that hundred meters walking back to my chair I realized that God is real and I had so many questions of whether or not he's real and I realized because of how I was feeling I knew that I couldn't understand it but I knew that God was good 
and I knew that he operated outside of time for what was going on right then. So I get back to my chair to go talk to my friend Nick Unsworth, the guy that was picking his nose and invited me to the event. And I'm like, Nick, you're never going to believe this. And right before I was about to tell him about Keith Kraft, I realized I lost my 11-year-old son in a tent of 2,000 people. My wife's going to freaking kill me. And right before I started to really freak out, because I'm already like buzzing and vibrating all over the place, I go, and he goes, oh, don't worry about it. Look up there. And I look around. My son's at the altar giving his life to Jesus at 11 years old. So we can clap our hands, but what we're not realizing is I was 11. My son was 11. It was the same pastor, and it was pretty much the first time I'd been back to church. So I don't know who you are, but I know God knows your name. I don't know where you came from, but I know that God wants you right where you're at right now. And there's nothing that you can do that would ever make God love you more than he loves you right now. And there's also nothing that you have ever done prior to coming here tonight that would ever separate you from God's love. And that was a hard thing for me to understand. So in that moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, my son received Jesus, but I'm reminded, I still got all this junk on my back, man. Still got these racing thoughts and I'll wake up with, with panic because I'm back in that moment where I'm like helpless and this man's doing things to me. So the very next day, they had the biggest bonfire that I've ever seen. And they asked every single man, all 2,000 of them, to come to the front. And in scripture, this is not my opinion, this is according to God, it's a promise from God, if any two of you touch anything on earth, our Father in heaven will do it. And so there was a man that placed his hands to my burdens and said, in the name of Jesus, would you do for Steve what he can't do for himself? God, with what he's releasing right now, God, would you take away from him what he can't handle, what his, what his flesh just can't handle? And God, would you allow him to receive the fullness of Jesus, not just the forgiveness, the authority? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I went home from that, from that event. And I told my wife what happened. I told my friends what happened. And I told God. I said, God, thank you for what you did. I'm going to give you the next year of my life. And I'm going to do everything that you tell me to do. And God, in the process of that year, if you can change my mind, in the process of that year, if you can heal my heart, God, I'll give you the rest of my life and everything in it. And so my wife is like, Man, I'm so glad that you're going to share your testimony to these people. They're you know, not even from the place that we're from. How do you feel like it's going to land? And I say, babe, I believe it's going to increase their faith. I believe that there's going to be people that are going to say yes to Jesus that haven't said yes before. I believe there's going to be seeds of faith that are going to be planted. I believe that God's going to do supernatural things. But it's because I know who I am. So I just want all of us just to close our eyes right now. I don't know what it is that you brought in here. And if you got some beautiful music, this is a great time to play it. With everybody's eyes closed right now, I want to read a poem to you. And this poem is something that I read every single morning. And it's called Choose Your Heart. Because for 37 years, I'm 40 now. For 37 years, I tried to do it my own way, and it was so hard. It was so hard. 
I got everything that the world had to offer. And I was so empty. And for the last four years and eight months, I've given God everything that I have. And I haven't been perfect. But I'm here to tell each and every man, woman, and child in here that it's worth it. That God is real. That God is desperate for a relationship with you. Not a religion. Being your best is hard. Being normal is hard. Making wise decisions is hard. Making bad decisions is hard. Losing weight is hard. Being fat is hard. Being disciplined is hard. Being lazy is hard. Getting outside of your comfort zone. Getting outside of your comfort zone and maybe raising your hand here in about three minutes. Maybe that's hard. But staying inside of your comfort zone and going home here today, exactly the same. That's hard. Starting a business is hard. Working for someone else is hard. Having great relationships is hard. Having bad relationships is hard. Hear me when I say this, guys. Fighting for your marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Having a lot of things is hard. Having nothing is hard. Living on purpose is hard. Living off purpose is hard. Doing life God's way is hard. Doing life your own way is hard. Everything is hard. Hear me, Harvest Church. We're going to choose our heart this morning. So God, we thank you for these men and these women. And God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move in this place right now. God, that you would give a new sense of courage. God, that you would give a new sense of boldness. God, that you would give them peace that surpasses all understanding. And God, that they would lay things down that don't belong to them. God, that they could leave this place lighter, that they could leave this place leaner, that they could leave this place not remodeled, but brand new in the name of Jesus. So with every, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never made a decision for Jesus, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm the only one that can see right now, and I want to celebrate you. We're going to do, we're going to do thank you. Thank you. I'm going to wait for about three more seconds. I want you to get bold in your faith. I want you to lay things down that don't belong to you, and I want you to raise your hands. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Go. Be bold. Good. Good. More. More. More, Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now I'm going to call to arms. If you've made this decision before, but you're like, man, I'm still carrying some things around. I want God to take it all. I don't just want to be forgiven. I want to be set free in Jesus. I want you to raise your hand right now. Three, two, one, go. 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 Don't be timid in your spirit. Be bold. Be bold. Three more seconds. There's more. There's more. Three, two, one. Put it up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, turn that music back up. We're going to pray right now. And I want everybody in this room, I want us all to say it. I want, I want heaven to hear us because I believe that God sees what's happening. I believe that God sees these sons. God sees these daughters. I believe that God's going to reveal to you who you really are. So just say this after me. God, that's all of us. God, I love you. I've made mistakes. I've missed the mark, but God, you're a good God, and you love me, so forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come live in my heart, not just to forgive me, but to give me your authority to heal my heart.
to allow me to love people the way that you love me. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to invade me from the top of my head to the bottoms of my feet with your holy fire. God, I thank you. I praise your name. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, come on, clap your hands. Marty, I love you, man. I'm so honored to partner with you in kingdom. I'm so honored to be your friend. Phil, I love you. Thank you for making this happen. Uh, I'm actually about to run out of the back of the door. I want to meet everybody and hug everybody's neck, but I'm actually flying to Brisbane uh, to preach there at 530. And then I'm coming back to Adelaide for the full week. Um, and so I say that to say, man, I hope to shake hands and hug and love on every single one of you guys. I felt so welcomed. You guys love Hulk Hogan. Um, it's been an amazing time. And for the people that said, Jesus, said yes to Jesus for the very first time, I just want you to know what's happening in heaven right now. There's something called the Lamb's Book of Life. There's an angel that's like nine foot tall, at least in my mind, he's that tall. And he's got big wings and he's holding this book. And when you raise your hand boldly for the first time, he took that pen, he dipped it in Jesus's perfect blood and he wrote your name. And your name can never come out of it. Woodsy, your name can never come out of it, ever. Jesus, Jesus would leave the 99 just for you, man. That, that blows my mind. Our God is that good. So I can't wait back to come back on Thursday and, and tell you more about it, Marty. I love you, man. Thank you, guys.